Hello, I'm Jen Thomas and welcome to the Simple Life Chat, the podcast series which discovers what it really means to rent. And in today's episode, we're learning ways to help our neighbours and loved ones in some of the most challenging of times. So feeling safe in your home can take many forms, having a security alarm, creating a sense of calm through interior design, choosing your neighbourhood, but it can also come from being confident in emergency situations. Whether that's knowing how to help someone who's choking, to simple tips that can make a huge difference in cases of heart attacks. We're honoured to be joined in today's episode by representatives from St John Ambulance and the British Heart Foundation, whose experience and guidance can help you gain peace of mind for whatever may happen in the home. So let's start by hearing a bit about them both, starting with Cindy Jodar, Senior Cardiac Nurse from the British Heart Foundation. Over to you, Cindy. Hi, I'm um, a Senior Cardiac Nurse uh, with the British Heart Foundation. I work with clinical team and our mission across the British Heart Foundation is to save and improve the lives of 7.6 million people currently living with heart and circulatory disease in the UK. Thanks, Cindy. And over to you, Anthony. Yes, so I'm Anthony Glyptis. I'm the National Training Delivery Manager for St John Ambulance and I've been doing this for about five years now. Uh, Previously, I worked for an emergency ambulance service uh, within the UK. I've also been a volunteer of St John Ambulance for the last 15 years. So come across a lot of um, different first aid situations, medical situations, trauma situations. So I'm very happy to be sharing my experience with you all today. And thank you both for joining us. Now, are there any common misconceptions or myths around first aid or what people can and and can't do themselves? Uh, If we start with you, Anthony. Uh, I think one thing that uh, a lot of people get surprised about is that there's a misconception that children can't help in emergencies. And actually, that's uh, absolutely not the case. Um, Children can uh, massively help in emergencies, uh, depending on the situation. There's so many examples that we see um, advertised in um, social media, formal media publications where we know that young people have stepped in and helped save lives because they've been taught how to. And obviously, we in St. Dramas really pride ourselves in our youth programme, being able to kick people with the training, which also includes young people. And we have young people from the age of seven uh, within the organisation that are learning first aid. So that's one uh, common misconception that I really wanted to address today. Uh, Another misconception is around burns and about needing to put oil on burns and something that we wanted to highlight that actually oil keeps in heat. And what we want to avoid at all costs is keeping that heat there with that burn. Uh, Running a burn under cool running water for 20 minutes as minimum um, is really best for um, helping out with burn situations. Um, And another um, misconception, uh, and I'm sure that Cindy will uh, press on this uh, a little bit later as well, is that defibrillators harm people. And what we want to do is um, get across that actually a defibrillator is 100% there to help people survive uh, from cardiac arrest. I'm sure Cindy, uh, as I said, will talk more about that. But those are some of the misconceptions that I wanted to, to come across today. And if we go to you, Cindy, about any common misconceptions or myths around first aid or what people can and can't do themselves at home? Sure. Um, I'd like to start with explaining the difference between having a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. They are both life-threatening uh, medical emergencies and require immediate medical help. However, 
they are distinctly different with having different symptoms. A cardiac arrest happens when heart suddenly stops pumping the blood around the body due to an electrical fault. Cardiac arrest is caused by a heart attack, but it can also caused by other heart conditions. And it can also happen in other circumstances, um, such as drug overdose, um, electrocution, severe loss of blood, or a severe drop in oxygen level. So we heard there from both of you about what a difference these skills can make. So knowing not to put oil on, knowing when to recognise these symptoms if people are having heart issues, because time is of the essence, isn't it? A lot of the time, because these roles that you play can genuinely help save lives. So these skills are so important, aren't they? They can be a matter of life and death sometimes, can't they? Yeah, as uh, as Cindy mentioned, the earlier intervention that can get to that patient, uh, the early access to 999, Uh, And we've obviously mentioned defibrillators earlier. All those form what we call the chain of survival. Um, So as soon as we can get some help there, as soon as we can get some hands-on CPR going, um, the quicker we can get an ambulance there, um, as I said, the higher um, the chance that we give that patient of surviving. And we know that not everyone uh, will survive even with all of those. It's all about us being able to do something Uh, feeling that we can do something in that moment and giving that chance at least. So yeah, you're you're completely right. And do you have any personal experiences of using first aid in a home or a personal capacity that really made a difference? Now, I know obviously you used to work with the ambulance service there, Anthony, but was there anything when you've ever been off duty or you've had to to step in to help? Yeah, so I've got um, personal experience um, at at home. Um, I have nieces and nephews who are always having bumps and scrapes and we know what young children are like. Uh, I think my my youngest uh, niece is a, is one. Uh, my oldest nephew is eleven. So I've got seven between that age range. So you know, prone to accidents, you step in, and instinct naturally kicks in when you've been trained. And that's why we'd urge people to get trained. You know, there is always going to be a sense of panic there. You know, your heart does start to race. The adrenaline kicks in. But with that training, you do feel really reassured that actually I know what I'm doing and it quickly comes back. It's like riding a bike, isn't it? So, you know, you can do things. And it is amazing to see how ultimately people do just want to help other people and it's wanting to assist others and wanting to help. As you say, if ever somebody collapses in the street, they say it's always see how many people go to help. It's that instinct that people want to help their fellow man, really, isn't it? It is. And, um, you know, it's great being alongside the British Heart Foundation today because I know both organisations uh, work with each other to obviously achieve that overall uh, mission, I suppose, in helping people, um, whether that's helping people in a first aid situation or helping families uh, of people that, you know, have experienced heart problems. Um, it's that ability, that that joint um, effort to care for people. Uh, and I think care is exactly what we need uh, right now. Uh, in the world. Now, there's been an increase in the number of defibrillators in local communities just in the last couple of weeks. There's one that's been installed outside where I live. There's two or three in the local vicinity. What does that, what sort of difference can that make to people and how can these help? When someone has a cardiac arrest, their heart is in a chaotic rhythm and is not beating properly. Defibrillator delivers an electric shock to the heart in attempt to get it to beat normally again. As Anthony mentioned, some people think they are afraid of using these defibrillators, but they are quite easy to use. They have spoken instructions which tell you exactly what to do. And uh, the defibrillator will analyze the person's heart rhythm and won't deliver a shock 
unless one is necessary. So anyone can use a defibrillator. When you ring 999, you will be directed to your local defibrillator. But the question is whether ambulance services are aware of where the local defibrillators are. They cannot direct people to your local defibrillator in an emergency if they are not aware of the where they um, kind of uh, placed. Many of defibrillators are sitting in offices, gyms, schools and sport clubs that ambulance service do not know about them. So if you have a defib, please make sure is registered on the circuit. Uh, when I talk about circuit, circuit is a national defibrillator network. I'm sure Anthony is aware of that because uh, we work with St. John's Ambulance Services as well. This circuit connect defibrillators to NHS ambulance services across the UK so that in those crucial moments after a cardiac arrest, they can be accessed quickly to help save lives. Right now is about 30,000 defibrillators are known to the ambulance services across the UK. But um, we know there are about 100,000 in the UK in total. So please register your defib on circuit. The device gives uh, voice commands. Um, and some devices also have uh, written instructions on the screen as well. So are easily accessible to uh, a lot of people. Um, and the device will go um, as quick as you're going. So it registers even when you've ripped open the packet. So one of the voice commands is tear open package and remove pads. And as soon as you tear open the package, there's a sensor on there that recognizes that you've actually torn open that package. And then you'd obviously remove the pads. On the back of the pads, there's even a picture that shows you where the pads go on the chest. So it really is a nice, easy piece of equipment that, you know, a lot of people, as I mentioned in my misconceptions, think is actually scary. There are so many things in there that make that device so easy to use that has such a massive impact that, you know, we'd recommend that people familiarize themselves with defibrillators uh, and also the training alongside that. But as, a, as I've given an example, it does give you voice commands and will talk you through it at the pace that you go. It sounds like an amazing bit of technology. As I say, the ones that have been installed outside where I live, it's a big bright green and yellow box with it written on the front that it's defib. I was out walking the dog and just noticed and went, oh, that's there. It's huge and brightly coloured. So hopefully more people are noticing it. In a, it's a built up area where we live. The idea is obviously that it stands out. So even if you haven't consciously noticed it, you'll find the human brain is amazing and you might go, I'm sure I've seen something out there because of this bright green and yellow box that has appeared. And as you say, it's that knowledge and that security, I suppose, that it gives people knowing that that's out there. I certainly feel better knowing that it's there if anything were to happen on the street or if anything were to happen in the block of flats that I live. And as you mentioned, a lot of it is about knowledge and security and giving you that confidence, isn't it? It really is, yes. And like you say, they do stand out. Uh, I recognise as soon as I go abroad on holiday, most airports that I've been in, you can see defibrillators on the walls. So it's not just the UK that, you know, really feel passionate about defibrillators. The whole world is really passionate about defibrillators. So um, it's great that we, we do get to see them. I'm aware of at least three um, that surround my house because when you pass, you see them. Uh, and obviously St. John Ambulance has been uh, working with you know our volunteers and fundraising uh, to increase the amount of defibrillators in the community as well. So you do get an awareness of where they are. 
And I know local media uh, usually will really help with highlighting that a new defibrillator has been installed as well. So, you know, when people are out and about, I'd always urge people to take a look. You know, medical centres, they're usually on the outsides of medical centres, uh, your local sports centres. Uh, I even know bingo halls that have got them outside as well. Um, so, you know, they do pop up uh, in a lot of places. Take a look around. You'll see them, as you say, they are quite uh, bright coloured, aren't they, Jen? So uh, you will see um, that they're there and uh, you'll be familiar with them uh, in the future. I know I'm one of life's panickers. I think I would be one of those people that is flapping and probably making things worse. And I think that's something a lot of people fear, isn't it? That you think the worst case scenario, will I be able to cope? But as you've mentioned, this training can give people a background to know, okay, take a step back you know what to do and hopefully it will lessen the panic, do you think? Yeah, completely agree. I think uh, I think fear comes from the unknown or the uh, inability to have control. First aid will give you that knowledge. Now, I'm not saying that first aid will stop you panicking. It's a natural reaction. As Cindy's just mentioned, adrenaline kicks in. But fear, like I said, stems from the unknown because you know um, basic first aid uh, in more um, courses. You can get um, more advanced first aid. Um, the more that you know, the less likely that you are to then panic um, continuously through that situation. Like I said, the initial panic will be there. That's our natural instinct, our natural body's way of going. Actually, I'm in a situation here that I wasn't expecting, but all that knowledge and preparation will soon come flooding back. We have people that you know, uh, leave the organisation that rejoin years later and go, oh, that changed. Well, you must have remembered how it was previously in order to identify that that actually changed. So it does make a massive difference uh, knowing uh, what's out there um, and what training is available and then participating within that training. Now, prevention is always better than cure where possible. So what can people do to keep their hearts healthy um, and to try and reduce their risk of, of anything happening? If we start with you, Cindy. Always remember uh, that uh, smaller steps can make a big difference. There are simpler steps you can take to decrease your risk of having um, heart conditions, such as eat well. Eating a healthy, balanced diet um, can help reduce several risk factors um, for heart and circulatory diseases, helping you maintain a healthy weight and manage cholesterol levels. Try to eat plenty of fruit, vegetables, nuts, seeds, pulses, and whole grain varieties of uh, bread, rice, and pasta. Um, You should also look to choose options that are lower in saturated fats, salt, and sugar where you can. Get active. Aim for 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity a week. This might seem a lot but it can be broken down into short 10-minute sessions throughout the day, which easily add up. Stop smoking. This is one of the best things you can do for your health, even if you smoked for years. Quitting will still reduce your risk of heart and circulatory diseases. Cut down on alcohol. Cutting down on the amount you drink is an important step for protecting your heart and overall health. And know your numbers. If you are over 40 in England, the best thing you can do is um, to visit your GP, pharmacist or practice nurse uh, for an NHS health check. This will help you to know your numbers and make sure that your blood pressure and cholesterol are under control, as well as opportunity to discuss any other risk factors. And be kind to yourself. 
stress alone won't cause heart and circulatory diseases, but it can lead to unhealthy habits and that may increase your risk. So making sure you get plenty of rest, eat a healthy balanced diet, exercise regularly, and keep in touch with friends and family for support can really help improving your well-being. Are there any preventative measures that you know of, Anthony, that you would recommend to people? I mean, we say like having a walk and and eating healthier. What do you think are the easiest or the best things that people can start doing? Perhaps they could even try today. So I think think Cindy at the British Heart Foundation have really covered a lot there in terms of prevention. They are very much the specialists in terms of um, keeping the heart healthy. Um, I think from from my perspective and looking at it from a first aid uh, point of view, is getting help where you think that something isn't quite right. You know, we know our own bodies and we know when something is trying to tell us that something's not right. So from my perspective, I would say, you know, when you notice something, seek that help. Um, don't sit in silence, um, don't ignore uh, any of the warning signs. So familiarising yourself with uh, with warning signs for conditions and then obviously seeking help. Now, it might be that that warning sign isn't that. Um, so I'm not saying that every chest pain is a heart attack. It could be something really minor, but it's all about knowing what signs to look out for and then making sure that you seek help you can seek help in a number of ways if there's you know st john ambulance covers first aid events so if you need help at a first aid event uh, at an event that you need first aid in sorry um you can easily go uh, and seek that help there's pharmacists there's chemists um in supermarkets in big supermarkets um it wouldn't be an inconvenience to go and speak at a pharmacy uh, and get help there there's obviously gps 111 um, as well. So making sure that you do seek the help if you notice that something's not quite right. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's about not being embarrassed because I know there are some people that they don't want to make a fuss. They don't want to inconvenience anybody when it can save their life. If you make that phone call or you just tell somebody, you know, actually, I have been having this for the last couple of days, couple of weeks, and it can make all the difference, can't it? It really can, yes. Um, and like you said, it's it's taken out the stigma of being embarrassed. And there's a lot of um, stigma around uh, mental health and we see so much uh, now going into advertising that mental health uh, there's no stigma around that and people should not be embarrassed to go and seek help with that that's exactly the same for any condition really don't be embarrassed by uh, a sign or a symptom that you're experiencing notice that identify that and then go and seek uh, go and seek some help based on that you're completely right and another thing that we've seen in the press a lot recently is choking um, where either children have choked on something at school or in the home or even in a restaurant um, and about people learning what to do with that um, because there's been some instances recently where for example if someone's choking in public they take themselves off to the toilet because it's embarrassing and then that means that they can't be helped what do you think that people should know about choking in the the risks involved and what to do so the first thing to do is establish whether the person's choking so asking a simple question are you choking now if the person can't respond um it could be that they're pointing at the mouth it could be that there's an indication that they that they are choking on something around them so if they're sat at a dinner table and all of a sudden they go into this um hysteria then you could probably um hand on heart say that they're choking so that's the first thing. And then what we do is we do uh, back slaps and we do up to five. And the reason we say up to five is that actually the first or the second one may get that object out, which means that you wouldn't need to perform any more. So up to five back slaps. Um, after each back slap, obviously support the person that you're um, slapping on the back um, and also check to see if the object has come out as well. So we'd do one, 
check to see if it's come out, do a second check, and as I said, up to five. If after the five, uh, we then haven't cleared that obstruction, which could potentially be the case, uh, we would then do abdominal thrusts. Uh, so abdominal thrusts, uh, where we stand behind the person, we wrap our arms around, we clench our fist, uh, and just under the rib cage and above the belly button, uh, we'd place our hands there and we'd thrust inwards and upwards to try and dislodge um, the object that is causing them to choke. Again, we'd do up to five because, as I say, we could do one of those and actually the object comes out, uh, but please check after that uh, to see whether the object has come out. If after we've done the five back slaps and we've done the five abdominal thrusts, the object's not cleared, uh, then we'd be calling 999. We'd be wanting to get some help out there um, at that point. Now, if you've got someone next to you who's um, who's available and can phone 999, get that early intervention in there, get them phoning 999 as soon as possible. Don't wait. Um, that means that you're then free to continue those back slaps and continue those abdominal thrusts until help arrives. Um, if the person becomes unresponsive, then obviously you deal with them as an unresponsive person. But there's just some basic um, some basic uh, help on how to deal with someone who is choking. And so for both of you, what do you think is the one thing that every household can do that has the potential to save a life if we start with you, Cindy? It's very important to know how to perform CPR. Uh, so if you haven't uh, done it, please, please learn how to perform CPR. 80% of cardiac arrests happen in home environment. And we know that when someone having a cardiac arrest every minute without CPR and defibrillation reduces their chance of survival by 10%. So um, you can sign up to Reviver, uh, which is a new free interactive CPR training course developed by British Heart Foundation. It just takes 15 minutes and you can do it on your mobile and it will show you when and how to do CPR to save someone's life. And all you need to do is to have a cushion in front of you to practice the CPR for that 15 minutes. So I would highly recommend to sign up to uh, for that uh, CPR course. Uh, I think I fully support with what Cindy said. Um, it's training. Training means preparation. And if you're prepared for a situation, you are more effective within that situation. So I'd completely agree with what Cindy said. Um, obviously, there's some uh, resources that British Heart Foundation have. There's resources that St. John Ambulance has. You know, we provide uh, community training as well. So it might be looking at in your local community to see what um, what opportunities are available there. And if there are no opportunities there, there's definitely some um, on our website that you can also access as well. There's definitely lots of organisations out there that want to make difference um, in people surviving uh, whatever situation they find themselves in. So there's always help around um, so the one thing would be making sure that you know what's out there for you to be able to do that. Now, Cindy, you're a cardiac nurse and obviously that is an incredibly important role and it must be very rewarding. Also, at times very stressful, I imagine. But what is it that you personally love about the job and what you do? I have been always passionate about um, nursing and um, I started my career 22 years ago as a cardiac nurse. And uh, I love to say that I'm still kind of specializing in that field and um, it's so rewarding. It's um, when you help people in all different stages of their life to prevent, to cure, to treat, 
Um, and uh, when you see people that one minute coming with a heart attack in a very life-threatening situation, and after a few days, they are back to their normal life, it's fascinating. It's so rewarding. And what's your favourite thing about the work done by the British Heart Foundation? Uh, British Heart Foundation, um, they do lots of, um, obviously, life-saving research, which um, we are able to do this um, due to generosity of the public. Without public, we would not be able to offer these for the last 60 years. Um, so um, I am very proud of um, British Heart Foundation achievement um, in putting um, healthy heart at the focus of um, their mission, basically. And for you, Anthony, there's so many important things that St. John Ambulance do. What makes you personally proud to be part of the organisation? For me personally, uh, especially coming from a training background um, in healthcare, I think it's the ability for us and the passion and the drive to not only treat people, but also help others with the skills to treat people. You know, we provide uh, ambulance crews to support the NHS, uh, we provide uh, ambulance crews um, to uh, other um, other sectors where um, supports are required. And we do make our impact by treating people directly. But I think what I'm most passionate about, what I'm most proud about uh, with our organisation is trying to create a population of people that can help each other, a population of people that care for each other. Um, and have the ability to to make a difference within people's lives. There's so many people that um, I've treated over the years, but what I'm really proud about is my ability to be able to train others to then obviously go off and and treat people as well. In the last few years, um, due to obviously COVID and the pandemic, um, you know we we really sort of geared up to to support the NHS. Um, and uh, one thing that I personally was involved in was the vaccination program where we trained 28,000 people to vaccinate 28,000 volunteers, people who, um, you know, are not being paid to do what they do. They do it because they care. That was a great achievement, um, you know, for myself and the organisation. And that's really what I'm proud of. And I don't know whether or not, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a personal experience for me, but whether it might make both of you smile. Obviously, it sounds a bit grim at first, but my dad had a heart attack at home five years ago. And it was from the education that we'd seen that we were able to recognize it and get him help. And then when I was seven years old, my mum had a stroke and I called the ambulance. <laughs> Oh, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's it's not embarrassing. We talked about um, we've talked about being embarrassed uh, earlier, and actually, it's it's really heartwarming to hear it that you've been able to obviously help people that you really care about. Um, and you know, I'm I'm really pleased that you you felt that you were able to do that. And they are both still here. So that's the best bit. They're both still here because we had the education, because we were able to make the call. They're both like, well, now that was, I'm seven. So that was 28 years ago and mum survived because she got the help immediately. And dad did as well. So he had damage to the left ventricle, but still got blood pressure medication and things now, all because it was able to be recognised and help was able to come straight away. So thanks to the work that both the organisations do and the advertising, it really does save lives and make a difference. It's really heart heartwarming to hear it, um, to be able to, to to reflect on those. And if it causes a tear, it causes a tear. But you've got a really positive, a really positive story that you can share with us. And you know, I'm uh, really uh, 
uh, really overwhelmed that you've shared that with us, to be honest. So thank you for that. And thank you both for everything that you do. And hopefully just by listening today, some people might go and sign up to a course or they might go and look for the information that they need themselves so that they know what to do if they're in that situation as well. Absolutely. Thank you both so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. And there we have it. Thanks again to both of my guests on this edition of the Simple Life Chat, Anthony Glyptis and Cindy Joda. Join us next time on the Simple Life Chat for more insights into the things that matter to you.